I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. Hello, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about UFO crashes. And the first one is one of the best UFO crashes in America. No, no, not that one. This one takes place 50 years before Roswell, and six years before the Wright brothers' first human flight in Kitty Hawk. And it happened in the small town of Aurora, Texas. On April 17, 1897, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, the early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of a strange, cigar-shaped UFO. Metallic silver in color, it was moving from south to north. The UFO was built of an unknown metal, resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver. And a witness guessed that the ship weighed several tons. Now, this is before the term UFO was even coined or thought of. There were numerous UFO sightings over America at this time, but they were all called airships. That's why this UFO is called an airship in a newspaper article written later by Aurora resident S.E. Hayden. Hayden told the Dallas Morning News that the strange craft seemed to be having some sort of mechanical problems. It slowed down to about 10 or 12 miles per hour and began settling towards the ground. Hayden said the townspeople watched in amazement as the slow-moving airship drifted over the town square and then moved north towards the property of Judge J.S. Proctor. Next, the UFO collided with the windmill, which was on the judge's land, and it went into pieces with a terrific explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground. The craft destroyed the windmill, the adjacent water tank, and the judge's flower garden. Just about the whole town came over to Judge Proctor's land to see what had crashed. Among the wreckage, the townspeople found the dead body of the ship's pilot. It even says in the newspaper article that the pilot was not human. Hayden said that although the pilot's body was damaged severely in the crash, it was clear that he was not an inhabitant of this world. The pilot may have been from Mars, said another witness, Mr. T.J. Weems, an officer in the U.S. Signal Service and an authority on astronomy, or so the newspaper article says. Now, in reality, T.J. Weems was just a blacksmith in the town and not an officer at all. All right, but back to the story. Weems says he found papers containing strange writing on them. Now, the same thing happened in another UFO crash over in Dublin, Texas in 1891. Now, again, a newspaper article was written about this crash, and many of the details match the Aurora incident. When the townspeople of Aurora checked the alien pilot's body, they found that he was carrying paper-like substance written in an unknown language. The papers may have contained a record of the pilot's journey, but they were written in some unknown hieroglyphics and could not be understood, said the town folks. As word of what happened reached surrounding towns, many visitors arrived to look at the crash site. Hayden writes, The town is full of people today who are viewing the wreck and gathering specimens of the strange metal from the debris. It's possible that some of this wreckage is still available in the nearby towns. Now let me pause again right here. There are acres worth of this wreckage, and townspeople from all around the area came and took samples of the debris. I realize that this was in the 1800s, but shouldn't some of that wreckage still be around today? Shouldn't it be passed down from generation to generation, talked about that this was part of a UFO? It just seems odd that there is not one scrap of evidence from this UFO crash. But anyhow, let's get back to that. After the crash, the townspeople tried to find out more about how the UFO was constructed and what made it fly. However, Hayden said that the ship was too badly wrecked to form any conclusions to its construction or motive power. Now again, I want to pause here for a moment. The story is incredulous, but it does have a lot of witness testimony, but it also has some shady stuff. 
First, Weems, who again was a blacksmith and not an officer. And then we have the same details as a Dublin story from six years earlier, which did bring a lot of attention and people to Dublin. And at the time of Aurora's UFO crash, Aurora was seriously hurting as a town. The train tracks went right on by Aurora. The town had suffered crop losses, building fires, and sickness outbreaks, which was all but killing the small town. So it's not unforeseeable to think that Hayden made up this story just to try to put the town on the map. But let's take this story at face value for the moment. So once the town people found the pilot with its odd hieroglyphic papers, they did what anyone would do. They buried the pilot in the town cemetery. Yeah, you heard that right. Supposedly, in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Texas, an alien body is buried in a tiny historic cemetery. So from here, let's jump ahead to the 1970s. In 1972, scientists from the International UFO Bureau, and I use the term scientists loosely, showed up to exhume the body. Now, they brought the media with them, but they were turned away by angry residents, and ultimately, they were blocked by the Cemetery Association because exhumations can only be authorized by the next of kin. According to one witness, the residents had guns on them and didn't want anyone digging around a cemetery where anyone who was buried there had a right to be left in peace, no matter where they were from, Earth or otherwise. Then, in 1998, Dallas-based TV station KDFW aired a lengthy report about the Aurora incident. Reporter Richard Ray interviewed former Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporter Jim Mars and other locals who said something crashed in Aurora. However, Ray's report was unable to find conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial life or technology. Ray reported that the state of Texas erected a historical plaque in the town that outlines the tale and labels it, quote-unquote, a legend. Around that same time, MUFON uncovered two new eyewitnesses to the crash. Mary Evans, who was 15 at the time, told of how her parents went to the crash site, they forbade her from going, and the discovery of the alien body. She said, my parents told me specifically it was an alien body. Charlie Stevens, who was 10 at the time, told how he saw the airship trailing smoke as it headed north toward Aurora. He wanted to see what would happen, but his father made him finish his chores. Later, he told how his father went into town the next day and saw wreckage from the crash. Now again, this is 1897. There wouldn't be metallic wreckage from anything. Sure, there were blimps, but th these people would know what a blimp would look like. Some random blimp crashing into Proctor's farm would have just been reported as that. A random blimp crashed into his farm. They would know what the wreckage would look like, and I'm sure they would know the difference between a blimp operator and an alien body. MUFON then investigated the Aurora Cemetery and uncovered a grave marker that appears to show a flying saucer of some sort, as well as readings from its metal detector. MUFON asked for permission to exhume the site, but the Cemetery Association declined permission yet again. After the MUFON investigation, the marker mysteriously disappeared from the cemetery, and a three-inch pipe was placed into the ground. MUFON's metal detectors no longer picked up metal readings from this grave. Thus, it was presumed that the metal was removed from the grave. MUFON's report eventually stated that the evidence was inconclusive, but did not rule out the possibility of a hoax. Then, on November 19, 2008, the TV show UFO Hunters aired an episode called First Contact about the Aurora incident. In it, Tim Oates, grandson of Brawley Oates and the now owner of the property with the sealed well where the UFO wreck was purportedly buried, allowed the investigator to unseal the well. Water was taken from the well, which tested normal except for large amounts of aluminum present. The well had no significant contents in it, though. 
It was stated in the episode that any large pieces of metal had been removed from the well by a past owner of the property. Also, pieces of the wrecked windmill were found, and it corroborates the story that something had crashed into or destroyed the windmill. Now, it's not that odd that a former property owner would remove debris and other stuff from a well, especially in a small town in Texas where water is desperately needed for a farm. So I can kind of see that part of it. It doesn't seem too outlandish to think that he had a well that was sealed up, he needed the water in that well, but there was a lot of crap in there, so let's pull out all the crap so we can use the well for the farm. But, going back to the story, in addition, the Aurora Cemetery was again examined. Again, this is 19, or I'm sorry, this is 2008. Although the Cemetery Association still did not permit exhumation, they did use ground-penetrating radar on the unmarked grave. And this unmarked grave was found in the area near other 1890s graves. So it does put a timestamp on the unmarked grave to the exact time that the UFO crashed. However, the condition of the grave was badly deteriorated, and the radar could not conclusively prove what type of remains existed. Around this time, though, headstones started going missing, and the graveyard was being damaged by careless people, and artifacts were even being stolen from the city museum. This was when the town decided enough was enough, and started to keep a closer eye on the cemetery to keep it as intact as possible. Everyone agrees that the tombstone, if there ever was one, is long gone, so there's not much to see there. It is a small-town cemetery, an old west-looking cemetery, that's still there that you can still visit, but please be respectful of the graves. So what do you think? Did a UFO crash in a small Texas farm in 1897, killing an alien on board? Did the townspeople bury the alien in their local cemetery? Do you think it's still there today? To me, it's obvious something happened back then. But whether it was a UFO that crashed or simply a town desperate for attention to create a legend that has lived on to this day is a mystery. I personally think that there are some details to the story that are spot on with UFOs of today. Why the cigar shape to the UFO? Again, this is 1897. They wouldn't have had that knowledge that we have now of what a UFO is supposed to look like or supposedly looks like. The hieroglyphic writing is another thing. It was found in Dublin six years prior. Then it was found in Aurora in 1897. Then it was found in Roswell. It's been found over and over and over again. Whenever there's a UFO crash, there's these strange hieroglyphic writings. The size and shape of the alien tends to match what we now know as gray aliens, a smallish four-foot alien with a larger head, wearing a skin-tight outfit. So a lot of the details are there that shouldn't have been there in 1897 when the story was written. But I want to know what you think. Do you think a UFO crashed in Aurora? Please let me know. From there, let's take a look at another UFO crash in the Southwest that has everything Roswell had, but again, it still doesn't get the same coverage. And like Roswell, it's very hard to determine fact from fiction. The year was 1953, the date May 12th, and the town was Kingman, Arizona. As the story goes, a UFO crashed about 8 miles northeast of the Kingman Airport, and that government officials sent a team of about 40 scientists to the crash site to investigate. The object was described as metallic, 30 feet wide, and 3.5 feet high. It was oval-shaped with portholes. Inside were two to four four-foot-tall humanoids, deceased, according to most sources, with large eyes and wearing metallic suits with no seams and skull caps. Now, let me pause here to say that the first mention of this crash happened in 1973, 20 years after the crash. 
in a Middlesex news article, which is a Massachusetts newspaper. In it, an alleged member of the official United States Air Force investigation team was identified and interviewed. He was dubbed Fritz Werner, but his actual name is Arthur Stanzel. The article was written by Raymond Fowler, and he says this unique eyewitness to the recovery operation signed an affidavit which contained the following statement. I, Fritz Werner, do solemnly swear that during a special assignment with the U.S. Air Force on May 21, 1953, I assisted in the investigation of a crashed unknown object in the vicinity of Kingman, Arizona. The craft was said to have a brushed aluminum exterior finish and measured approximately 30 feet in diameter. Two swivel seats were reported to have been found inside the craft, along with instruments and display panels. A single hatch was found to be open on the craft measuring 5 feet high and 3 feet wide. Additional reports from Magic's Eyes Only, M-A-J-I-C, written by Ryan S. Wood, indicated that the craft was embedded 20 inches into the desert sand on impact. Eyewitnesses that lived in the area that were interviewed in 1973 did say that something happened just north of Kingman in 1953 and that the government did block all roads, the highway and the desert roads, leading into the area. So again, even though this story didn't come out until 20 years later, that doesn't really surprise me. The government has a way of keeping a lid on all of these stories. Little by little, eyewitness testimonies start to add up until an investigative reporter catches on and writes a story about it. There were numerous eyewitnesses that did live in the area in 1953, and they all corroborated the story that something happened just north of Kingman. Now, that being said, there was something that did make me pause for a second while investigating this crash online. A name popped up that makes me wonder about this whole thing, and that name is Leonard Stringfield. According to a number of articles written about this crash, Leonard Stringfield was one of the men that assisted in the recovery, and he was listed as a metallurgist. But in reality, Leonard Stringfield was actually a UFOologist. Now, he did say that he investigated hundreds of UFO sites and crashes, but I can't find anything that proves that he was in Kingman at the time or that he was a metallurgist. But anyhow, back to the story. Among the scientists assisting in the recovery was engineer Arthur Stansel. Stansel graduated from Ohio University in 1949 and was first employed by Air Material Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, as a mechanical engineer on testing Air Force aircraft engines. For those of you guys that know a lot about UFO crashes, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base should be a huge, like, klaxon going off in your head. Supposedly, the UFO from Roswell was sent to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for testing. It's also where it was possible that they did the alien autopsy. Although there is a second site in Arizona, there is a second base in Arizona that they said that's probably where the alien autopsy took place. But again, for those of you guys that know UFO crashes and UFOs, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base comes up time and time again. Now, Dennett writes in the book UFOs Over Arizona, After making measurements and studying the crash site, Stansel concluded that the craft struck the ground at 1,200 miles per hour, but was strangely undamaged and definitely not human-made. The object was not built by anything obviously that we know on Earth, Stansel says. It was more like a teardrop-shaped cigar, like a streamlined cigar. Next to the spacecraft was a tent being guarded by military police, Stansel says. I managed to glance inside at one point and saw the dead body of a four-foot human-like creature in a silver metallic suit. The skin on its face was a dark brown. 
Dennett cites other personnel on site who tell tales of the aliens packed in dry ice, an ancient Sanskrit-like type on the metal of the ship. Unfortunately, there's not a lot more known about this crash. While investigating it online, it seems that most of the stories quote each other, and it's hard to determine where some of this information even comes from. Again, it does seem to have a kernel of truth like the Aurora crash. Something crashed, and in this case, the military were quick to barricade the area and keep prying eyes away from it. It also shares a lot of the same details as most UFO crashes, small, large-headed aliens, hieroglyphic writing on the metal, the ability for the metal to self-repair and be nearly indestructible. But I will say it's hard to determine what is the truth and what is made up to sell books. But those were the supposed facts and details that I could find. So again, what do you think? Did a UFO crash in the desert around Kingman, Arizona? Sadly, we may never know what really happened in either of these stories, and until disclosure of aliens becomes public, or so many years go by that the Freedom of Information Act releases some new information, these will remain possible UFO crashes and nothing more. Well, once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Through your guys' amazing support, Paranormal Almanac made it to number 19 in the top 100 podcast this past week. And that's just astounding to me. I could not believe it when I saw it go up to 39 and then all the way up to 19. I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Please go to iTunes, click like, subscribe, leave us a review. Head on over to Facebook, like our page there. It's Paranormal Almanac. Send me a message on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. I've heard from so many of you guys, and I really, really do appreciate it. You guys have all been fantastic. I can't do this without you guys. I really can't. So thank you for all of the support. Tell your friends. Tell your families. Listen to the episodes again and again. Help me out any way you can. I really do appreciate it. And this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. (laughs) 